Hey, good. She got me turned up high. Okay. Real short on announcements today because basically the announcements are in the bulletin and they're on the board. And other than that, we're not going to do those today. Uh, reminder that tonight we have no service. If you want to come up here tonight, you can come. There will be nowhere to sit. We're going to pull all the pews out today right after service. And they're going to start. I thought they were starting in the morning on the carpet, but they're starting today at 1230. So y'all are going to have to get out of here. <laughs> now, don't take that wrong, but they're going to be in here uh, moving all the carpet, old carpet out. We're going to be doing the pews and everything else. Y'all heard that. Everybody get your watch out. He said you're going to end 10 minutes. You're going to end 10 minutes early. <laughs> yeah. If, if he's going to do that, we need to put a big clock up here so we can watch it. <laughs> okay. No service tonight. No service Wednesday night. And just depending on how everything goes, we're not exactly sure what we'll have back in here for the next Sunday after that, but we have a missionary coming. So we may have to have the uh, campfire effect. Everybody come in, sit around on the floor, cross your knees. And we'll have a, have a campfire old-time missionary meeting. Okay, that is really all the announcements. Okay, so I don't know how much we have, but I got to tell you, at the rate at the rate we're coming in, we're getting less all the time. I mean, it's just it's just I'm just saying. If you don't bring it in fast as I can eat it, we're never going to get enough. So, and and again, if you don't want to go buy candy, give somebody a twenty dollar bill and let them go buy it for you. Uh, I don't know how much we have, but you know, when we get a bunch of kids and people coming around the circle at the trunk or treat deal, we want to have, we don't want to give them one piece of candy. We want to give them a handful of candy. So, you guys, I mean, uh, consider this missions work, outreach to the community. Because that's what we need to be. We need to be outreaching to our community and to the people around us, and we need to be doing missions. And this is both. It's missions to those people that have not got a church and don't know whatever, and it's uh, outreach to the community. Hang on. I need to let y'all know that we're going to set up meals for Julie and Joey. <laughs> uh, starting Tuesday, I'll have it linked if you need to get a hold of me, get with me for my phone number, and I'll send you the link to set up the meals. We're going to do two weeks to help them out. Okay. For those of you that don't know, I think Julie's having surgery, right? Did it make you taller or shorter? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> if, I ever, if I ever have one, I want to make me good looking and rich. So I don't know if they, I don't know if they have surgery for that or not. If they do, that's the one I want. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Julie's having surgery. Pray for joy. <laughs> well, all the guys, all the guys know how that goes. Okay, so you got you guys keep that in mind. Okay. So just a couple announcements. Um, um, this week I'll be we're going to a district ministers retreat for the Assemblies of God for Oklahoma. So we'll be gone 
Monday through Wednesday, maybe Thursday, depending on travel. So if you need me, uh, contact one of the board members. If, if you guys, anybody have their phone number and stuff, if it's an emergency, give me a contact. The second thing is I'm praying for this guy because you know OU won yesterday. <laughs> hey, Texas at heart. Win, lose, or draw. I'm a Texas fan, so yeah, I don't, I don't want to fire our coach every time he loses. And I, I know there's a bunch of OU fans that want to fire their coach every time he loses, so I'm not that way. But anyhow, okay, guys, let's do the offering, and we'll be ready to get started. It's going to be easy today. We just got to go down to three aisles. <laughs> okay. Lord, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and stand before you, Lord, to seek your will and stand in your presence. Lord, we wish to bless you in all that we do, Heavenly Father. And that is our, blessed, our, our purpose today, Lord, to take this offering is to bless you with our tithes and our finances, Heavenly Father, that you will use it to further the kingdom of God and to further your people, Heavenly Father, and to glorify your name. In Christ's precious name we pray. Hey, you guys stand up and get ready. Here comes Julie. Woo. Are y'all ready to worship? I have no other help up here, so I'm dependent on you guys for singing today. As we praise his holy name, Father, we just thank you for your presence in this house, God. We thank you in advance, God, for what you're going to do in this service, Lord. Just move, Lord, like only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on and give the Lord. Praise His holy name. 
broken, God. Father, in your name, healing takes place, Father. In your name, bondage is broken, Lord. Father, we pray in your name this morning for every situation that's in this auditorium, Father, for every situation that's represented through your people in this auditorium, Father, are taken care of. Father, we just pray peace over everyone, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Jesus from the mountain. 
Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name. Jesus, oh, sing that again. Let's shout his name. Shout Jesus from the mountain. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family. I speak the holy name. Jesus. Your name is power, your name is healing, your name is love. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Your name is power. Stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Oh, shout Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountain. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family. Jesus, your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind cause I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus oh we speak Jesus spirit of worship, God. We just lift our praises to your name, God. Father, we just bring our burdens, God, our doubts and our fears, Lord. Whatever the hindrance is this morning, 
Father, we just lay it at your feet, God. Under your name, God, that covers everything, Father. Father, we trust in you this morning. We believe in you for those prayers that we prayed, God. Father, just have your way. Yes, Lord Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.
saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. The Lord that we serve is a mighty God. Jesus is not a weak God. His eyes are blazing like fire. His feet are like bronze. He holds a golden sash, which is authority and kingship. He, his head is like wool. He is the almighty God, and he shines like, like the sun in all of its brilliance. Our God is not a weak God. Yes, he's the lamb, but he's also the lion. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. The God that you serve is mighty. He is holy. He is awesome. He is powerful. And in His name is healing and power and might. Father God, we lift up whatever problems we brought in here this morning. And we give them to you and we set our eyes on you because you are mighty and you're holy. Father, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for Israel. Father, Israel is the apple of your eye. God, as your church, we pray for your chosen people. You said those that bless Israel will be blessed. Those that curse Israel will be cursed. We choose this day to bless your Israel, to bless your nation. We pray your protection upon them. We pray your anointing on them. And we pray your power over them. In the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. Can you guys hear me okay? I don't know if my other mic just went dead or something. Check. Is that better? Okay, good. Well, God is good, amen? Uh, you'll notice we have empty seats over here and empty seats over here. Because we're changing out the carpet today. So I will end a little early today so that we can get in and I can get my wife home and I can come back and move these pews out. So if anybody is willing to stay after service to help move the pews, that would be great. We're getting new carpet in this week, so I'm excited about that. And uh, uh, Again, that was because we had a flood in the church uh, this last December, and God is good. Amen? Yeah. All right. Well, God is 
a mighty God, and he is powerful. And again, somebody needs to hear that this morning. We often look at Jesus and we get these pictures, and that's not my sermon today, but I really feel like I need to share this with you this morning. We often look at Jesus as a wimpy God, or we seeing him in these movies, but let me tell you, that same Jesus is also the Jesus that overturned the tables in the temple. That said, my house will be called a house of prayer. He's the same Lord that's going to come back. And he's not coming back for peace. He's coming back to judge the earth. And he's going to come on a white horse. And it says his name is on his thigh. And he's going to come with a sword. And it says that he speaks from his mouth and a sword comes from his mouth. So all that we see going on today... Well, no matter what's going on in your life, we serve a mighty God that is powerful and he has strength and he's not wimpy. So somebody needs to hear that this morning. Now, on another note, if you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Philippians. We're going back to our series. Um, you know, God had interrupted it a few times and if God interrupts it, he's in charge, he's the boss. Uh, but we're, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2 today, verses 1 through 11. And I've titled the message, The Heart of a Servant. And we're in the part five of this series, the heart of your servant. Let me tell you something, I have learned, and I have not been good at it, so I will admit to you, I've had to learn how to serve my wife well, and I probably haven't served to the best of my ability. So you, you get tested in servanthood when somebody in your family needs help. I'm looking right at Joey this morning. <laughs> I'm teasing you, Joey. But you learn a lot about yourself when, when you need to help somebody else out about your servanthood of your heart. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, we're going to read and then I'm going to pray. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father let's go to the Lord in prayer Father, as we study Philippians chapter 2 this morning, in these first 11 verses, I pray, Father, that we will get better at our serve, that we will be better servants. Jesus, you came to serve us. Help us to serve like you do. Father, I pray that you will speak to each one of us here today, myself included. Your word goes out before you. And it will not return back to you void, but it will accomplish what you sent, out, sent it out to do. And so, Father, I pray that you do that in our hearts this morning. Give us soft hearts. Give us understanding and revelation according to your word. And then, Father, as your vessel, I can do nothing apart from you. Speak through me 
what you want to do and what you want to say. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. So the heart of a servant means to be like-minded. A problem with unity. One of the things that some commentaries say that the reason why Apostle Paul is addressing this issue is there was some kind of conflict going on between two ladies in the church. Division. Uh, Jesus said a house divided amongst itself can't what? Stand. I mean, why do you think Satan goes after families? If he can get them divided and get them parted, then they can't stand. He comes in and he causes strife within churches because, again, a house divided amongst itself can't stand. So a lot of scholars believe that there was some kind of division going on within the church that the Apostle Paul is addressing here. And so a problem was with unity was going on in the church, and so Paul addresses it. Remember, Paul is addressing a church. Jesus is addressing the church. He says in verse 1, If any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being what? Like-minded. Now, again, Paul gives several keys to being a servant. And again, the first one is being like-minded. Now, like-minded carries the idea of being in one accord, having the same goal or thinking. Means that you and I have the same purpose and plan, with the same direction. Now, again, we can agree not to agree, right? So there's times we have disagreements. Anybody have disagreements with your spouse? <laughs> I like that. All the wives went, never, and then they're elbowing their husbands. But eventually you come to an agreement. My, my wife and I, a lot of times, when we're in a disagreement, we will table it, and we will come back to it later. We would rather hold off on making a decision if we're in disagreement, because we want to be in unity. Unity is important. Again, it's being in one accord. Uh, think of the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was poured out on that day. God's anointing came because they were all in one accord in the upper room together, focused on one thing, and that was God's gift of the Holy Spirit poured out on them. We should still be the same way within the church. Having the same goal. What's our goal? To reach the lost for Christ. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. To do works of ministry. My job as your pastor is to build up the body of believers so that they will do works of ministry. Do you know it's not the pastor's job to save everybody? It's the sheep. Sheep get sheep. So our collective goal, we're coming up on our trunk or treat. The collective goal is to come together to reach kids in this community and moms and dads. Again, being like-minded. So how important is unity within the body of Christ? Look what Psalm 133 says. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now I have the NIV version, so it says brothers live in unity. It's good and it's pleasant. When God created the heavens and earth, what did he say? It is So if God says it's good, then it's good. So God says, how good and pleasant. Is it pleasant when we're in unity? When you have strife, the enemy always hits on Sunday morning with my kids. It seems like he hits your family on Sunday morning. He knows what's going to happen that day. 
and strife begins to happen. And, 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 and the battle's begun. And you have to stop sometimes and just take a breather and pray. There have been times, Stacy and I have just said, stop. And we've gathered the kids together and we pray. Because the enemy is the enemy of strife. He likes to cause division. But God says it is good and pleasant when God's people live together in unity. If we're living in unity, that is a good thing. Now look at this. It's like precious oil poured on the head. Remember I shared this when I candidated here. I read this scripture. Oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of God's anointing. When, the, when Samuel anointed David, what did he do? He poured oil over him. God's anointing shows up when there's unity. God's Holy Spirit is poured out when there's unity. Again, the upper room, they were filled. In fact, let's go there. I'm going to go back to the scripture. Go with me in your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, I would suggest, because I use the Bible a lot, please start bringing your Bibles, because I may not have it up on the screen. Some of you have electronic Bibles. That's fine. I use one at night because it's got a, a natural light to it. Sometimes I have to turn down the brightness. I'm one of those guys that likes it really bright, and it drives my wife crazy. So I have to kind of, never mind. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Is my mic still working? Okay, good. Look what it says here. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost, which just means 50 days past Passover. That's what Pentecost means. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, what? In one place. They were in one accord. They had the same unity, same mind, same thought. Suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I would love it on sun, some Sunday morning when God just pours out his spirit in our church and people start getting healed and set free and baptized in the Holy Spirit and operating in the gifts of the spirit. I've shared with you that with my testimony and I'm going to share again. Again, you'll hear the same stories over and over again from me. But I remember as an eight-year-old boy, when, when revival broke out in our church, a Hispanic lady came in, in a wheelchair. She came in, I remember I was seated on this side, and she came out where, right around where Brother Black's at. And she was standing there, actually she wasn't standing, she was in her wheelchair. Nobody prayed for her, nobody touched her. And she stood up, and she began to weep. And she began to cry, and she began to run around. Now, as an eight-year-old boy, when a lady gets up and runs around in a different language, you think something weird's going on. She began to, she, all she spoke was Spanish. She ran around in a circle and came back. And they got an interpreter. She came in there paralyzed and left walking and running. True story. I have never forgotten that. Or the story that you've heard about me with the little boy that grew brand new eardrums. My mom, back in the 80s, they had something called the intercessory prayer room. And my mom would take me back to the intercessory prayer room. And every week, this grandparents would bring their grandson to the intercessory prayer room to be prayed because he could not hear. He had a surgically in, in, inserted uh, ear, uh, hearing aids, but he couldn't really hear much. 
And I was back to the day that they began to weep because they pulled the hearing hearing aid out and they were able to snap their fingers and the boy could hear. When they played the tape at the church, the doctor got saved because the boy grew brand new eardrums. Yeah, give God praise. Because with God, there's no time. So what happened to me back in the 80s happened yesterday for God. And what God did yesterday, he could do today. The anointing of the Holy Spirit, it's like precious oil poured out on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon or down on the collar of his robe. It's like the anointing drops from here all the way to the floor and it touches the individual. When, a, when unity happens within the body of Christ, God's anointing shows up, God begins to move, people get saved and they get set free and that's when revival happens. And we need to pray for that. Look what happened in verse 3 of Acts. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled. Not some of them, not a few of them, but all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. My, uh, one of my mentors, Pastor Larry Reed, shares a story of the pastor that pastored Sand Springs Assemblies of God for, I think, 30, 35 years. He was a teacher for Charles Page High School there in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. Anybody know where that's at? That's up by Tulsa. And his wife would go to church there at Prattwood Assembly, and he would go in there, but he would grab a newspaper and sit in the back of the pews. And when the preacher would preach, he would mock the preacher. Well, one night they had a revival service. And that man came in, and as he began to mock the pastor, before you knew it, he was down at the front, and he got saved and got filled with the Holy Spirit. And began, God began to change his life. They had to drive him home that night because of God's anointing on him. And then he pastored Sand Springs Assemblies for 35 years. That's because of unity. It's the anointing. It's the oil. Then look at this. It is as if the dew of Hermon. Now the dew of Hermon on this mountain, it doesn't rain there, but the dew is so, so, there's so much dew on that mountain every morning that it produces waters and puddles for the animals to drink out of. God's anointing falls on us. It should permeate us and, and saturate us to wherever we go, others are affected by the move of the Holy Spirit. I know I've show, shared this story with you before, but I'm going to share it again. And the reason why I share these stories is because they're true. They're good illustrations. Some of you might know this story, and I've already shared it, but when I was in the service, I'd come home from leave from Grand Forks, North Dakota, and, and I would take a flight here to Tulsa to stay with my mom and dad for about two weeks. I knew when I was coming it was time for work. I'd be splitting wood for dad in Oklahoma summer. But I landed in Memphis, and next to me was an empty seat. Now, I'm not one to have one of those days where I don't feel like talking. But on this particular day, I was tired. I'd been driving. I'd gotten up early. I did not feel like talking. And there was a man at the checkout counter where the stewardess was. And he looked right at the seat next to mine and then looked over there. I believe God was drawing him. And I thought to my mind, oh, Lord, please don't make him come sit next to me. I don't want to talk. I'm being honest. That's how I felt. He walked over and sat next to me. 
Now, I have the problem with the gift of gab. And as he began to talk, we began to talk. We had a conversation. I don't remember what it was about. And I just said, well, bless you. Have a great day. I got on, my, on the airplane. He got on the airplane, and guess who sat right next to me? God orchestrates things. He's the divine appointment. He knows everything. And we talked about a lot of things. We got off the, airport, off the airplane, got into the airport in Nashville. I, I take that back. It wasn't Nashville. It was Memphis. And uh, I said, hey, have a great time. Have a great day. I'll see you later. I'm praying for you. I got down to my gate. And before I got down the gate, I said, God, if there's somebody to reach him, to speak to him about you, then open up a door. I got down to the gate, and I had a two-hour layover. I looked to my left, and guess whose gate was next to mine? With a two-hour layover. We saw each other. We laughed. I said, hey, are you hungry? I saw a pizza plate. Something. He goes, yeah, sure. So we started walking. And I remember a shirt I had called Cops, Christians Obediently Preaching Salvation. And as we're walking, he began to tell me things about his life. In fact, he wasn't even a Christian, and he used the word debauchery. Now, how many Christians alone know the word debauchery? It means to be stuck in sin, stuck in the same root, doing the same thing over and over again. And what we call, again, it's being stuck in a rut and you can't get out of it. And he began to tell me all this stuff that he had done while he was down in Mexico. And he goes, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I just feel so bad about it. We got up to the table and we were eating pizza. And finally the Lord kept dropping in my heart about that shirt. And I said, may I ask you what... What's your faith? He says, well, I believe doing good unto others as they do unto you. That's scripture if you know the Bible. So I began to share the gospel with him. Out of love, wasn't forcing it down his throat, just talked with him, shared the gospel a little bit, talked with him. You guys don't have to be hard on people. You don't have to force it down their throat. God never does that. He's a gentleman. He will never force somebody to accept him. That's called free will. So we're, we're talking with each other, and it was time to go back to our gates. And he's walking, and he goes, I think God sent you into my life today. Ten minutes before my flight left, I led him to the Lord, and I've never seen him again. True story. Yeah, give God praise. Why do I share that story? Because of the anointing and the saturation of the Holy Spirit in God. When you're anointed and you're, and you're unified in Christ and your focus is on Jesus, that anointing is there and the world recognizes and they're convicted of their sin. We're all going to have to give an account. But if you're saved today, you're going to be for, before God's judgment seat of Christ. You're not going to be judged for your sin. You're going to be judged for what you did for Jesus. But those that are lost are going to be judged for every bad thought, every sin they've ever committed. And if they don't know Christ and they die without Christ, they will be judged for that and for all eternity. I sure wished I had a rope up here today. Because I saw a great illustration of a rope one time. The pastor took a rope and he put black tape at the end of that rope. And he stretched it across the sanctuary. And he said, our life is like that black tape, but that rope, imagine it going on for eternity. There's people dying without Jesus, and they're going on to eternity without him. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. 
When I worked for Tulsa County, what's this have to do with unity? Because it's God's anointing on you. If you're born again this morning, the Holy Spirit wants to fill you with that anointing. When I worked for Tulsa County, I had one guy tell me one time, he said, well, I don't believe in Jesus because of all those other bad Christians and what they've done. And I mentioned to him, I said, well, one of these days you're going to have to give an account and you're not going to be able to say those people caused me not to believe. He's going to ask you, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with my son? You're going to have to give an account for what you did. So it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his what? Everybody say blessing. Oh, that wasn't very good this morning. I, I know we're moving chairs and stuff this morning, but let's do it again. Everybody say blessing. blessing. Hey, that's better. The reason why I say that is when there's unity within the body of Christ, God bestows his blessing and his life. A church that's alive is because there's unity. A church that's alive is because they're doing things and their purpose is to reach the lost. Tom Rainier wrote a book called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And he was a consultant for 14 different churches and why they were dying. And they all had 12 things in common. The number one thing that they had in common was they stopped thinking about reaching the lost for Jesus and they got focused on their stuff and programs and things that they liked to do. Now there's nothing wrong with those things. But if they take the place of reaching people for Jesus, then we've missed the reason for the Great Commission. So be, we need to be unified. Being a servant means being like-minded. Again, there's this strife going on in this church, and Paul says, hey, if, if you want to be united with Christ, if, if there's any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with His Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, I love those words, love, fellowship, tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. God says, make my joy complete. I believe God was speaking through the Apostle Paul saying, make his joy complete. How many of us want to make God happy? Again, it's not by performance, but when we do the, what he's called us to do and we operate and act in those things, it brings God joy. Look at this, Acts 2, 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Remember when uh, it said that uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to breaking and bread and, and to prayer and to fellowship. And it said they had all things in common. This was just before the church was persecuted. God brought the church together in a unified manner to help each other because God knew persecution was coming. Guys, if there's a time that we need to be unified, it's now. Because persecution is coming. And it's already started here. We've been, uh, we've been re uh, beneficial here in the United States that we haven't faced the persecution that other countries have. But it's coming. And it's already started. What can occur when there is strife and disunity within the church? I should read James here. Look at James chapter one, chapter four, verses one through three. James says, "What causes causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? 
A lot of the times the fights that go on not only within the body of Christ, but within families and friendships is because we're not getting what we what? Want. There are desires that battle within us. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet. You know, you can kill without physically hurting somebody. You can kill with your words. Do you know, we have a thing, when I took speech class in college on bass, my teacher, my professor that taught that class, she went to school with Bill O'Reilly. And she said he was really good at using his body language. We have body language. Anybody know what body, this is a body language of some of my girls. <laughs> right? The rolling of the eyes, that's called body language. Or the hips. My, I can't do it because I'm a guy, but my girls, they got that hip action. Right? <laughs> Your body language can say sometimes more than what you say with your words. Your, your eyes can kill. Your thoughts can kill. Your attitude can kill. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. But you covet. Covetous means you want something that somebody else has, but you can't have it. Something that God gave them that you shouldn't have. The problem is we're not happy with what God gave us. If you're covetousing, which I probably said that wrong, but the best I could do, if you're coveting something that somebody else has, it's because you're telling God what he gave you is not good enough. Think about that for a minute. You're blaming God and saying, God, what you gave me is not good enough. And it says all, every good and pleasing gift comes from what? From God, from above. Every good, pleasing, and perfect gift comes from above. You, you, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Do we do what we do to get pleasure from other people's praises, or do we do it because we want the Heavenly Father's praise? Do we do it because we want to be recognized? By other people, or do we do it because we want to be recognized by Jesus? So, what again? What did Jesus say about disunity in the kingdom? I've already read the scripture, but I want to read it again. Jesus knew their thoughts and said, "Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand." Anybody see division going on in our country today? Look what's happening because of that division. So, how does Paul deal with this? Paul explains what is needed to bring unity within the Philippian church. How does Paul describe this? And what are those actions? One, they need to be like-minded. Again, like-minded here again means to say, think the same and be devoted to or mindful of the same things. The activity represented by this word involves the will, affections, and conscience. You know, I found out my cat has a will. We call that catitude. The one cat that we don't want on the table gets up on the table because that's his will. He wants to get up there. So this week I bought a spray bottle. It only works for part of the time. 
Stubbornness. You can have a stubborn will. You can have a hard will or, again, stubborn will and then that God wants to move on your heart, but you're not willing to change. You're not willing to submit or surrender. How about your affections? Your affections towards others. Is our will to please the Father or please men? Is our will to see the church grow or to see our own ministry grow? Everything should be about the Father. should be about the kingdom. And it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about Him. It's about the kingdom. In fact, it literally means to be bonded together or unified. How many, I mean, literally, one of the translations means to be glued together. Are we glued together as a body? Are we glued together as a church? Are we glued together as a family? I like using that. Lone Grove family because we are family. A family may have disagreements. But a family will always stick up for each other. As a young man growing up in a large Hispanic community, I was known as the little gringo. And I had to fight a lot as a young man. I, and I knew it was wrong as a believer, but there was a lot of times I would be picked on. And I found out real fast that they stuck together. They're very family-oriented. Because if I, if I defended myself against one, then I had to defend myself against all of them. Listen, we have an adversary, and his name is the devil. And he's got little minions. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and dark forces of this world. And we should be unified. But what Satan likes to do is cause division, strife, gossip. Somebody get upset you. We get offended easily. And before you know it, we're talking about I'm not saying that that's going on. Now, if it is, we need to put a stop to it. But that's what the enemy does. If he can come in and get a church divided, then it causes division, and that's how church splits happen. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And it goes on to say, also, I like the one scripture that says, for building up the body of believers or the kingdom of God. So God gave all these different gifts, these five-fold ministry, to equip you as saints to do works of ministry so that we reach a maturity in Christ to build up God's kingdom. That's unity. Guys, if we're unified this morning, God wants to use us to build his kingdom. I'm thinking about all those people that need Jesus. We had an opportunity. I, Stacy and I, we don't eat out very often, but Friday I didn't feel like cooking. Remember, my wife still has a knee thing. and Now understand this, I live for... I was single, and I, I didn't get married until I was 31, and Stacy was 30. So I, I knew what it meant to cook. I know how to cook meals. But you know when you're dealing with all that and the kids and working, all, you, sometimes you just don't feel like cooking, right, moms? So we went out, and we ate with, with a few people over at uh, Rib Crib. Um, went out with 
John and Shauna and Rick and Sherry and our kids were there and just as a family to minister to each other. And I used that opportunity to witness to our waitress. Well, she's already saved, but it was an opportunity to give her a card and introduce her they're looking for a church. Listen, one plants, another one waters, but God makes it grow. You may not bring them to salvation, but you sure can plant the seed. You can come along and water that seed. And then somebody else will reap the harvest of it. But God gets the credit for all of it. Because he's the one that does the divine appointments. So the whole purpose for unity is so that we can build up the body of believers. How many of us want more people saved? How many of us believe that we're living in the last days? I've been thinking about doing that pretty soon, the signs of the times on a Sunday morning, because there's so many signs that are pointing to the last days. Again, Paul wanted the Philippian church to be unified and bonded together instead of divided. Again, what is a bond? The Webster Dictionary defines a bond as a hold together or solidify by or as if by means of a bond of a binder to cause to adhere firmly. Number two, the heart of a servant means having the same love. Look with me in the scripture here. Looking at my clock, we're, we're good. All right, praise the Lord. So, number two, to having a heart of a servant means to have the same love. So not only like-minded, but part of being unified means also unified in your love. Listen to what Jesus says in John 13, verses 34 through 35. A new command I give you. Everybody say command. command. Is this in red letters? Yes. So it's Jesus' words. It's our Lord. He's our master. Love one another. If we're backbiting each other, are we loving each other? If we have bad body language or we're rolling our eyes or saying things or acting out in a certain way, we're not loving one another. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One of the problems that with individuals coming to Christ is they look at the church and they go, well, the church doesn't look anything different than I do. It doesn't look any different than the world does. But Jesus said, you will know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. In fact, look what 1 John says. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from who? From God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. If you're born again this morning, you should be operating in love. Now, love isn't always a feeling. We're a society about feelings. Well, I feel like I love you. Oh, I don't feel like I love them anymore, so I'm not going to be married anymore. We hear that a lot. Love is a choice. There are times, in fact, the scripture says, bear with one another in love. That word bear means to put up with. <laughs> Anybody ever have to put up with some people on your holiday season, your Christmas, family members? And I share that a lot, but... There must be some issues in my life that I need to deal with if I bring this up a lot. But when you're shopping, it means to put up with, bear with each other. It really means to give allowances for one another. That's the real definition. 
Love means I'm going to overlook some of the things that you do because some of the things you do, I do. My mom always used to say this to me, and I believe it's true. The very things that we point out in other people are probably the things that we do ourselves. It's the things that we don't like about ourselves. So we decide to pick on somebody else instead of taking responsibility for our own actions. God's love. God is love. And he says, anyone born of God knows God, and they will walk in that love. For love comes from God. Let us love one another. Now I kind of paraphrased a little bit there on a couple other scriptures that First John mentioned. They needed the same kind of love. So what does Paul mean here in this verse? The Greek word for love here is agape or agapeo, which means a caring or tender love, benevolence or or kind love. It also means a God-like love. When you're born of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Love. And so if you're born of the Holy Spirit this morning, if you've gotten saved, you have that fruit in you, you just need to cultivate it. That means there's those times when you just need to bite your tongue. And I've asked God to do that before for me. And you know, one time I literally bit my tongue. So be careful what you ask for. I'm, I'm serious. I had just prayed that, and I was getting ready to say something I shouldn't say about somebody, and I literally bit my tongue and bruised it. And it reminded me that God says, be careful what you pray for. If you pray for patience, God's going to give you opportunity to work on that patience. But can I say pray for it? Because it helps you to grow in it. So it's a agape love, and that God-like love comes from God, and it can only come from God. Philo love is brotherly love. Eros love is what we call erotic love. But agape love comes from God. Jesus says you can't bear fruit unless you abide in the vine or continue in him. In John 15. So if you want to bear the fruit of love, you need to abide in your relationship with him because he's the author of love. So you need to have the same kind of love. We too must have the same kind of love for each other. The word have here comes from the Greek word echo, and I don't know why I put a little square box there. Well, that one says echo, and mine have put a little square box, which means to maintain, to have, to hold, to have to hold in the hand in the sense of wearing, to have to hold or possession of the mind. It refers to alarm, agitating emotions, etc., so it literally means to put on love, to have. We use that in weddings, to have or to hold for this day forward, right? For, be for better or poor, rich or for richer or poor, for better or worse. I'm so glad that I haven't done a wedding in a while because I would have messed that up. But that's what it means. It means to put on love. That means you have to focus on putting it on. In fact, look at what 1 Thessalonians 5 8 says. But since we belong to today, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Putting on love. Number three, the heart of a servant means being one in spirit and in purpose. 
Look in Philippians chapter 2 again. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, unified in thought, purpose, having the same love, unified in your love, being one in spirit and in purpose. They needed to be one in spirit and purpose. The word spirit here comes from the Greek word, and I'm not going to try to say that word, which refers to one mind or of one accord. Didn't we just read that? Again, God is reiterating to this church to be unified, to be in one accord. The word is made up of two words, which means some, together with, and sukos, which means soul, self, inner life, or the seat of the feelings, desires, affections. So the word refers to being unified in spirit and harmonious. When I played in band, you could always tell when we were out of key. And I played a woodwind instrument. I played the saxophone. And if I didn't have it in key, it sounded horrible. And so you'd have to tune your saxophone. And the way you tuned it was by pulling out your mouthpiece and adjusting the reed on it. Getting that reed really wet to be able to make a good sound. And you would get in key with the other instruments. Anybody ever been to a, a kid's orchestra before and they're out of tune? And you clap and you're like, oh, that's great. But afterwards you're like, oh my goodness, that was completely out of tune. The church gets like that sometimes. The enemy comes in and he gets us out of tune. And God wants us to get in tune. Harmonious. Paul desired the Philippians to be united in their affections towards one another and to be one in Christ in all of their desires. Number four, the heart of the servant means one doesn't promote self. Look what this says right here. This is by Spurgeon. Anybody know who Charles Spurgeon was? You know, he's, God used him in such a mighty way that pastors still use, their, use a lot of his commentaries and a lot of the things that he said in his preaching. Look what he says. Now just pause over this thought that Christ did not crown himself, but that his Father crowned him. That he did not elevate himself to the throne of majesty, but that his Father lifted him there and placed him on the throne. Jesus is the picture. He's referring to this very scripture that God the Father promoted Jesus, exalted him. The problem with strife is people want to exalt themselves. The world does that. The world's all about self. Look at me. Look how I've been. Look what I've created. Look how I've achieved this. Guys, everything that you have belongs to God. Psalm 50. In fact, hold your spot here. I wrote this, read this on Wednesday, but I want to read it again. Go with me to Psalm 50. It's not my notes. Psalm 50. Look at me in verse 7. Psalm chapter 50, verse 7. He says, hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. 
If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. God owns everything. Everything belongs to him. You belong to him. Even if you're lost this morning and haven't repented, you belong to him and you're gonna, he's going to deal with you one of these days. These pews belong to God. This church belongs to God. Even this carpet they're taking out today belongs to God. Everything belongs to him. So hold loosely what you have because it belongs to him. Then he says this, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice, thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. If he owns everything, he can deliver you. If he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he can provide for you. God's provided for my wife and I time and time again, and he'll provide for you. I don't know if I've shared this with you, and you might know this story, but I remember one time we were up in Wyoming, and we sat down and looked at our bills, and ministers don't make a lot of money. It's usually the ones you see on TV that make lots of money, and they're going to have to give an account to God one day. And I remember us sitting down looking at our bills, and we needed 300 extra dollars to pay not only for our bills, but to buy food for three little girls. And we sat there and we prayed and we said, Lord, you said you're a generous God and we're coming before you and you said you would supply all of our need. This is how much we need. And we wrote down $300. And we prayed over it and we just left it in God's hands. A half an hour later, it's a true story, Diane McMillan, who was in our church at the time, came and knocked on the door. I opened the door and she goes, here, God told me to give you this. And I said, no, I can't take that. She goes, no, God told me to give it to you and you're not taking it back. I'm not taking it back. And so she walked off. I closed her 30 minutes later. I opened up the check and guess how much was on there? $300. God is your provision. Jesus waited for the Father to promote him. This is the opposite of selfishness and selfish ambition. Selfishness means, what can I get out of it? What's in it for me? And that's the society that we're in today. So what does selfish ambition look like? We already read that. Remember James chapter 4. You kill and covet, but you don't get what you ask for because you ask for wrong motives and evil desires that are within you. Now, I'm not going to read the scripture because we already read it. Number five, the heart of a servant means looking to the interests of others. Let's go back to Philippians here. So the Apostle Paul says here in verse three, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each, is, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of of other. Verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Paul gives them the example of Jesus. Listen to, listen to this. Jesus let go of his privileges as the son 
of God. And I want to read something. I don't know if I put this up in my notes, but it's by David Gusick. Here it is. It wasn't that Jesus was trying to achieve equality with the Father. He had it and chose not to cling to it. Jesus' divine nature was not something he had to seek for or acquire, but it was his already. Lightfoot wrote that it was not a prize which must slip from his grasp, a treasure to be clutched and retained at all hazards. Jesus was willing to let go of some of the prerogatives of his deity to become a man. And he did it for you and for me. Whether that's grammatically correct or not, it doesn't matter. This is who Jesus is, and yet he surrendered his to the Father's will. Jesus is God, and he created all things, and he holds all things together, and yet he humbled himself to save us. Listen to what Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18 says. Christ is the image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything and in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things, which, uh, things we can see and the things we can't see. Such as thrones, kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all things together. Christ is all the head of the church, which is his body. Listen to what 1 John verses 1 and 2 say. Oh, I, I must have put that scripture back in. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the what? In the beginning. So Jesus had all of his deity, but he gave it up for you and I. Can I tell you this, something this morning? None of us deserve salvation. We don't deserve it. Grace is unmerited favor. God gives it to us, even though we don't deserve it. Mercy says that he gives us what we don't deserve. You and I deserve hell, but he doesn't give us hell. Now, we, we take hell if we don't accept his son and surrender our lives, and that's your own choice. But when you get saved, he freely gives you salvation. How many remember your salvation day? When you turned your life over to Jesus. I want to show you something. NASA's Chandra Observatory captured this hand-shaped image of an x-ray. Now, I took this from NASA's website, not from any other website. The image taken by NASA's space-based Chandra, uh, Chandra Observatory Telescope shows an x-ray nebula of 150 light years away. It shows what appears to be a ghostly blue fingers, thumb, and Pinky clearly discernible from an index ring and middle digits reaching into a sparkling cloud of fire red. And it also shows a wound coming from the hand. Let's see if we got it. Can you guys see that? Do you see where the wound is? And this was taken by NASA's telescope. This is not a farce. You can go research it. This was taken by them, I think, in 2021. What's he doing? He's creating the stars. And by him and through him, all things were what? Created. He was in the beginning. In the beginning was God. And, and God was with him in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus is the creator of all things. He's the image of the invisible God. So becoming like a servant. Now here's laminin. How many of you guys know what laminin is? 
Remember, I've told you about laminin. Louis Giglio does a wonderful illustration of this. It's actually a, a molecule that all of us have in us that literally holds us together. And it says, by him and through him, all things are held to what? Gather. And it's in the shape of a cross. Here it is under a microscope. Do you see it? Laminins are the heterotrimeric proteins that contain A chain, a B chain, and a Y chain. The laminins so forms are named according to their chain composition. Again, it holds you and I together, and it's in the shape of a what? Cross. So Jesus became a servant. What's this have to do with the unity? We have five minutes, and I want to finish this real quick. Let's go back to chapter 2 here. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11 real quick. How did Jesus become a servant? Look in verse 7. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in what? Human likeness. He, in verse 6 it says, Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, being made in human nature. How did Jesus become a servant? Again, he became human. The question is, why did Jesus become human? There had to be a blood sacrifice to atone for sin. Why blood? Leviticus 17, 11 says, For the life of the creature is in the what? In the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Now, if you and I were taking blood thinners and we got cut, what would happen? We'd bleed out. If we were to bleed to death, well, I guess that would be a kind of, I already answered the question, what would happen if we bled? <laughs> We'd bleed to what? Bleed to death. The life is in the blood, and it had to be a blood sacrifice. Real quick, go with me to Hebrews chapter 9. If I don't finish this, the reason why I have to close early is because we have to get these pews out of here. But Hebrews chapter 9 real quick, if you wouldn't mind looking. And then we may just get through these verses here and then we're going to catch back up. Not next Sunday because we have a missionary coming next Sunday, but the following Sunday. But look in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 9. It says, when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. In the Old Testament... The blood, when it, was, when it was shed, it only cleaned the outward. It didn't clean the inside. Anybody like Tide commercials? Jesus' blood is like one of those Tide pods. When you get saved, he drops it loose inside of you and cleans you up. Only he doesn't leave any stains. Verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. 
For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in the force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. Basically what he's saying is the will of Jesus to save us happened when he died. And you and I receive the will and that inheritance because of his death. Does that make sense this morning? Because a will is in the force only when somebody has died, it never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without the blood. I love this, and I'm going to close with this this morning, and we'll look at this next week, or in two weeks. But wait, basically what happened is Jesus took the blood on the cross for you and I. Religion is what kills Religion is what the Pharisees did. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. They looked perfect on the outside. They had beautiful robes. And when they called phylacteries, they would carry these boxes with the Ten Commandments on them, on their head and on their arms. And the Pharisees always liked to make them look really big to make it look like they were holy. But Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. And we talked about it in Sunday school this morning. When, when John says, you know, the axe is at the roots. You're, keep fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The problem with the church today is it's been too religious and it's not producing the fruit. So when people look at the church, they go, I don't want that. What do they have that I don't have? They're not looking at it in that way. They think, well, they don't really have much, so why should I go after there? Why should I go to church? Why should I accept this Jesus? The world needs to recognize that there's a difference between us and the world. And it started with the blood of Jesus on the cross. He paid the penalty so we wouldn't have to. He paid the cost on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. He did all the work. All we have to do is believe in faith and trust in him. And if you say, well, I don't have faith this morning. Yes, you do, because God says everybody has a measure of faith. Did it take faith to drive in your car this morning? Did it take faith to drive on the road without somebody crashing into you this morning? Do we have faith in more in medicine to take care of us when we're sick? You have faith. It's just who's your faith in. Again, you won't be able to stand before God one day and blame somebody else for the decisions you've made for Jesus. It's a decision you have to make on your own. He loves you. I feel bad for, for those that have been hurt by the church and hurt by people in the church. Remember, the church is made up of imperfect people. Every single one of us in here today are imperfect I've always told you this, but come hang out at my house for a while and you'll find out how imperfect your pastor is. <laughs> Putting brakes pads on my wife's van last night. The first set took me about an hour to take and I was irritated. I got a little angry and threw one of my wrenches on the floor. If one of you guys would have came by, you would have went, oh, pastor. <laughs> at least I admit it. After I got the first part done, the next part only took me 15 minutes, and I ate my hamburger with greasy hands. 
added a flavor to it. But here's the deal. Nobody's perfect. The church is made up of imperfect people. And I'm sorry if the church has hurt you. There's been times I've hurt people and didn't even know it. But God will never hurt you. God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. That's why he sent his son for you. In fact, he said, for God so loved the world. God is love. He loves you. But you have to make a decision. With every head bowed and every eye closed here this morning. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. I'm not here to point anybody out. I don't know your heart. Only God does. And I'm sorry you've been hurt by the church if you are here and you've been hurt. Or maybe you haven't. Maybe, maybe you've been hurt by somebody in your family. That's not Jesus' fault. That's their fault. The decision you make for Jesus is your own decision. He's a gentleman. He will never force himself on you. He loves you enough that he died on the cross so that you could have eternal life, that you could have a place in heaven. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to perform for it. Jesus did it on the cross for you. We make it too much about performance, but let me tell you, it wouldn't matter how hard you work, you could never get to heaven on your own works. The Apostle Paul says you're saved by grace through faith, not by your works, lest anyone should boast. I'm not going to even ask for hands this morning. I'm going to just invite you right now in your heart, if you're here this morning, and you never asked Jesus in your heart, you've never truly surrendered your life to him, it's not about church. Church won't save you. Water baptism won't save you. That's just an outward sign of an inward change. What saves you is surrendering your life to Jesus, asking him to come into your life, admitting that you've sinned, believing that he died for those sins, and he will forgive you and wash you and cleanse you with his blood, and believing that he rose from the grave. It might be a prayer like this, Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the third, on the third day. And this day I surrender my life to you and I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord and Savior, and, and heal me of my sin and forgive me of my sin and make me part of the family. It may be that simple. But it starts with the heart and turning and living for Him. I'm, sometimes I ask for a hand Sometimes I ask you to step forward, but this morning I'm not going to do that. I really feel like this is for somebody this morning, between you and the Father. Because you need to know that God loves you. He, he desperately loves you. He loves you enough that He wants to reach down and fill your heart with His love this morning. Dwight L. Moody said, he knew that when he got saved in that shoe store that day because he felt the love of God come into his heart. And the, the birds seemed like they were more alive than he'd ever seen before. The sky looked bluer. The birds were more real than he'd ever seen. The trees looked more real because he had surrendered his life to the Lord that day. So would you come to him today in your own heart and in your words, surrender your life to Jesus. Right now, right where you're at, between you and the Father, 
Are you here this morning and you'd say, now I'm going to ask for a raise of hands. You'd say, Pastor, I needed to hear today that God's my provision, that God's going to take care of me. He's going to help me today. If that's you, would you raise your hand this morning? Thank you. Anybody else this morning? Thank you. Anybody else? I want to pray for you this morning. Father, I pray for those that raised their hand this morning. I pray, Father, that you would speak to them. You would minister to them today. God, you would remind them that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, as Psalm 50 says. That you own everything, the world and all of it is yours. And if you take care of the lilies of the field, how much more will you take care of them? I pray that you will show that to them this week. We thank you for your blessings today and all that you've given us. Bless everybody today. I pray as they leave this wall, they're going out into the mission field. Give them divine appointments. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Now, before I dismiss you, there are times when I will ask you to step forward. And there are times when I'll ask you to raise your hand. But I felt in my spirit today that somebody just needed to hear that God loves you. And even if you didn't make a decision this morning in church, you can do it in your car. You can do it at the grocery store. You can do it in your house. I don't know who you are. But it's that simple between you and the Father. God can change you. God can change your heart. And i got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And that's why I did what I did this morning. There are going to be times when I will call you out. But God knows a person's heart and how they'll respond. Now, all hands on deck. As we get ready to dismiss, we need as many help, any hands as we can to get these pews out. If you can't and you're not able, that's fine. I love you. Bless you. I'm going to be gone this week. Please contact the board members if you need anything. God bless you. Have a great day.